0: Good to be back with you this morning with slightly raised energy levels from last week. Uh, I must say it's been a bit of a battle this week. I, uh, I'm not sure if it's all the excitement of planting a church and Easter and getting a son married, but the excitement caught up with me last week and I've been battling a bit of a flu, uh, but it's good to have the energy levels nearing somewhat normal again. Um, speaking of excitement, are there any Marvel fans out there? Quite a few Marvel fans, aren't there? This week was a big week for all the Marvel fans uh, with the release of Avengers, is it Endgame? Is that what it's called, Jono? So for all of you who are over 40, you've got no idea what I'm talking about. For all of you who are under 40, it's been the most exciting and highly anticipated release of your lifetime, would that be true? Which is just sad like having a dog as your best friend, only sadder. (laughs) But I I hear it was a good movie and worth going to see. On a slightly more sober note, as uh, James has already alluded, uh, last weekend while we were celebrating at Easter and while our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka were celebrating the Risen Lord, uh, there were some horrific terrorist attacks and, um, and the violence that we live in, the age that we live in, is an age of violence, isn't it? Now, I'm not sure that we're living in any more violent times than 100 years ago, but it's certainly true to say that we are living in violent times. And the text that we are speaking into this morning, that I'm speaking into from First Peter, certainly speaks of a similar context to what we are living in now. The first century Christians were living in violent times just as we live in violent times. The oppression that we feel as Christians, they were feeling in first century as well. So this text from First Peter really speaks into our current situation, I think. Two weeks ago, for those of you who weren't here, we began our series in First Peter. And two weeks ago, we looked at the first two verses, and if you remember, those first two verses told us three things, that we have been chosen by God, we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and we have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. The Trinity, if you remember, we were reminded of the Trinity, of God acting and calling us, chosen, sanctified, and sprinkled by the blood of Christ, and our response Peter says, and those first two verses can only be one of obedience. Peter consistently in this first chapter reminds us that it is about God. It's about what God has done. It's about who God is, the character of God, and we're going to find that some more this morning. So turn with me uh, to the passage in 1 Peter, and uh, we're reading from verse 3 down Two verse 12, as we've heard, and interestingly, that section, when Peter wrote it, is one sentence, and there is a depth in that one sentence. Fortunately, the editors have put in a few commas and full stops for us to get our head round it, but when it was first written, it was one sentence, and the depth of Peter's thinking, uh, "I'm going to scratch the surface this morning. I'm going to scratch the surface, I believe." First Peter, chapter one. until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Because of God's great mercy, Peter goes on to say, reminding us it is about God. It's about God's mercy. Because of his mercy, the mercy of God, the Father of Jesus, he's given us a new birth. Now, I want to stress through these verses, how Peter is pushing us back onto what God has done, onto the character of God. It's the mercy of God. It's out of the mercy of God that we have this new birth, as Peter puts it. God chooses us. God sanctifies us. God sprinkles us. And now it is because of his mercy we have this new birth. Now, the imagery of new birth is something that's very familiar to us as Christians, but actually this metaphor of new birth only comes up a couple of three times in the Scriptures. It comes up a couple of times here in 1 Peter. Of course, Jesus emphasizes it in his interaction with Nicodemus in John 3, doesn't he? Where Nicodemus comes and Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God," if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That's the imagery that Jesus used, and it's the imagery that Peter is using here, this new birth. We must be born again. It's hinted at in different passages in the prophets. The prophets talk about a radical transformation that's going to happen under the new covenant, and and one of those perhaps um, most poetic descriptions in the prophetic writings is in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel speaks of the radical transformation that's going to happen in the new covenant. So Ezekiel 36:24, we read, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries, bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle you clean. There's that phrase, sprinkling, uh, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from your idols, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, this radical transformation, this new birth that Peter describes, it will be based on a change of heart It'll be based on a change of mind, a change of will, where your will now lines up with the will of God. It'll be nothing less than a new birth. You will be born again because of why? Because of the mercy of God, Peter says. All based on the mercy of God the Father. Not on your deeds, not on your actions, not even your circumstances. It's born out of the mercy of God. Of God's. Sometimes this new birth is radical and revolutionary. Sometimes we might say this new birth that happens for the believer is almost a natural progression of God dealing with you from the earliest of days. Whatever your experience of the new birth, it will be miraculous. It will be God's mercy at work in your life. That's where this new birth is born, in the mercy of God. Peter goes on to say, out of this new birth you are placed into a living hope based on the resurrection of God, the resurrection of Jesus, and into an enduring inheritance. So let's unpack those three things. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus into an enduring inheritance. Firstly, this living hope. The new birth we have ushers us into a living hope. A confident, joyful expectation that things will get even better than they are today. And this hope, Peter says, is living. It is vibrant, it's alive, it is strong, it is vigorous, the basis of it he says, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let's just think back again. Who is Peter writing to? Peter is writing to these Christians in modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia, and they were, as we learned two weeks ago, they were resident aliens, which meant they were a class just above slavery. They weren't citizens. They had no rights of citizens. They were resident aliens, foreigners and strangers, just a half step above slavery. And so it was tough. Their existence was hard going. They experienced all the oppression of this Christian sect was undergoing in that first century. They knew what it meant to suffer. They knew what it meant to see their brothers and sisters martyred for their faith. They knew what it meant to have no rights at all. They understood what it meant To experience suffering, violence, and oppression. Death was a constant companion for them, and yet they had heard this good news. They had heard this good news that this Jesus of Nazareth, who had gone to the cross, had three days later been risen from the dead. And here they had heard all the stories about those first apostles who had traveled with Jesus for those three years, they had heard about Peter, the apostle. They had heard how three days after Jesus was crucified that the apostle Peter was out fishing on the shores of Lake Galilee and that he was called to have breakfast. This Jesus was alive. Imagine then when they received this letter, this letter that's sitting in front of us that had come from Rome, from this great figure called Peter the apostle, And he's articulating them, the story of the living hope that he's experienced, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Imagine what they would have done for their faith. They've got this letter from the apostle, and he says, you have a living hope. It's based on the truth that the Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter can say that because he knew it. Firsthand, he experienced it, and now he's writing to this first-generation believers in Turkey. This resurrection, this living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus, ushers you into inheritance, Peter says. And this inheritance is kept in heaven. An inheritance is a property or a possession that passes to the next generation, When a parent either dies or chooses to pass it on. Now, under the old covenant, the inheritance for the people of Israel was basically the land. It was the promised land. Their inheritance was to receive the promised land of Palestine. And so in Psalm 78, we read the following. He drove out the nations before them, allotted their lands to them as an inheritance. He settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. The inheritance under the old covenant was the land in which they were going to live. The 12 tribes were allocated that inheritance. But here, Peter's talking about a different inheritance. In the New Testament, the inheritance is something quite different. It is the blessed state of believers connection to the kingdom of God. That's the inheritance that Peter is talking about. And this inheritance, this taste of the kingdom of god if you will this experience of the kingdom of god peter says is being kept in heaven for you what does he mean by that well not only is it kept in heaven the new testament writers say we get to experience something of this inheritance now so in ephesians 1 the apostle paul can write and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth the Gospel of your salvation, when you believe you were marked in him with a seal, promised the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In other words, this inheritance, this experience of the kingdom of God that's being kept in heaven for you, Paul can say in Ephesians one, "You get to sample it now. As the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, you get to experience a foretaste of this inheritance that is being kept for you in heaven. The fullness of the inheritance will come, Peter says, when Christ returns at the end of time. But the other writers say you can experience it now. You get a foretaste of this as the Spirit of God dwells within you. This is the inheritance, your experience of the kingdom of God in your midst right now. Peter goes on to speak about the coming salvation in verse 5 and following. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That gives you a bit of a clue of what those first century hearers, they're suffering grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor through Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ is revealed. So this is the coming salvation that Peter is articulating. This deliverance, this rescue that the mercy of God has enacted in Christ. This is the coming salvation that you are going to experience in its fullness, in the fullness of time. The coming salvation, the deliverance the rescue of gods. I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged when I saw the picture of those three helicopter pilots who had crashed down in the Auckland Islands. Their helicopter had gone down. They'd crashed in the frozen waters of the sub-Antarctic waters. They'd somehow managed to get out of the helicopter. They'd swept, they'd, they'd swum to the shoreline. And then they were on this deserted island, freezing for 15 hours, waiting and wondering, will we be rescued? Will we be rescued? And their only hope was for somebody to come outside, their saviour, the Richard Hannibal Hayes, in his helicopter flies down and he saw the three men. What joy it must have been when they saw that helicopter or heard that helicopter come and rescuing them from those sub-Antarctic islands. What joy it is when we see God and his mercy come to us and rescue us in our own plight, in our own lostness on the island that we might have created. This is the imagery of salvation that Peter is articulating here in Christ. Your faith is being tested, Peter says, your faith is being tested the grief that you're experiencing, the suffering that you're experiencing. Those first century Christians and you now, when you're experiencing the grief, when you're experiencing the suffering, Peter is saying this is the testing that has to come so that your faith will be proved more genuine. It's worth more than gold. This is the testing of your faith, the trials, the suffering, the grief. And yet those first century Christians could rejoice. Peter could say they could rejoice. Why? Because they knew their salvation was secure because of the character and nature of God. Look at verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice the present tense of the salvation that is coming. Why can they express this joy, this inexpressible joy? Because they are receiving the salvation of their soul? Why can we celebrate now in the midst of trial and grief of every kind because we are receiving the end result of our faith the salvation of our souls as Peter describes it. He said he says to them and he says to us you know the prophets of old longed to experience and find the grace that you and I are now experiencing. Don't ever take this faith journey lightly. Don't ever take it for granted. Look at verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Don't ever take your faith for granted. The prophets of old longed to know and to experience the grace that we're experiencing now. Interesting the phrase he speaks of the Spirit of Christ in the prophets of old. The Spirit of of Christ was prompting the prophets of old. They were looking and finding out when was this day of suffering for the Messiah to come. They were searching intently. And so they were looking for when the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would be followed, it was revealed to them that they weren't serving themselves, but they were serving you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you, those who have been preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The prophets of old were yearning to know when the Messiah would come when his suffering would come, and more than that, when his glory would be revealed. And they learnt that it wasn't for themselves, but it was for us. It was for us that those articulations, those prophetic articulations were recorded. And so we see in Jeremiah, we see in Isaiah, we see in Zechariah, we see in Ezekiel, all of them pointing towards the coming of the suffering of the Messiah, so that the church, you and I, could know the grace. We could experience the grace that comes from God. Notice how Peter begins this passage with the mercy of God. He ends it with the grace of God that's coming to you and I, the church. The mercy of God and the grace of God. That book ends this paragraph that we're unpacking this morning. The gospel has now been proclaimed to those first century hearers. They've heard that God has fulfilled his promises to Abraham, to King David, and all through the prophets. They have learnt now from the Apostle Peter that in Jesus of Nazareth, God has fulfilled his promises Jesus went to the cross, three days later was risen from the dead. Peter could sit on the shoreline and have breakfast with Jesus, the risen Savior. And so now through faith, this first church, the earliest of believers could say yes to the gospel and they could experience the salvation of their souls. They could meet with God in his mercy and his grace. What does this most complicated of sentences say to us this morning here at Hope Church? What is God in in his mercy and in his grace wanting to say to you this morning? What is he wanting to say to us as Hope Church this morning? Well, let me draw out three lessons from this wonderful, wonderful paragraph inspired and written by the Apostle Peter. The first is this, that grief and suffering does not define us. The mercy of God the Father in Jesus Christ defines us. Grief and suffering and trial of every kind does not define us. Rather, the mercy of God, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is what defines us. Whatever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself this morning, your circumstances, your grief... Your trial, your suffering, your struggle does not define the follower of Jesus Christ. It is the mercy of God that defines us. That's the first lesson that Peter shows us this morning. We are shaped and defined by the mercy of God. His kindness, his compassion, his desire to rescue you, his mercy is what defines us this morning. Two weeks ago, on Palm Sunday in northern Nigeria, a baby dedication was happening. And this church in northern Nigeria was celebrating, gathering to celebrate a little child only a few weeks old. And they gathered in celebration and joy. And, and the ceremony was getting underway. And just as it was getting underway, some armed militia broke in on that Ceremony and they opened fire with machine gun and they killed 17 people in that baby dedication, including the mother of the child. 17 people lost. We live in violent times. But the violence of our age, whether it's in Nigeria, whether it's in New Zealand, whether it's in Sri Lanka, whether it's in Dunedin, the violence, the circumstances do not define us as followers of Christ, amen? it is the mercy of god that defines us the mercy of god that defines us secondly peter reminds us in the different nuances of his description of salvation in these verses that salvation is both it is past it is future it's an inheritance it's past in that it's based on the resurrection of jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago. That's the foundation, Peter says, for our salvation. It is future, Peter says, in that there is an inheritance. The fullness of inheritance is being kept in heaven, and it's going to be given to you when Christ returns at the end of time. But significantly, as we learned in verse 8, it is a present reality. Your salvation is your experience of salvation is a present reality that you can know today through the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. As, Peter, as Paul reminded us, a foretaste of this inheritance is ours today through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is past, it is future, it is present. And thirdly, I want to just touch on the call to suffer as Christians to suffer alongside the suffering of our Messiah, the one who went to the cross. The prophets of old describe this suffering, as Peter reminds us in this text. Significantly, perhaps one of the clearest articulations of the suffering of the Messiah comes in the book of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, where we read the following. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God Peter reminds us, wrestled with the Spirit of Christ to know when this suffering of the Messiah would take place. It took place 2,000 years ago. But 2,000 years on, as our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, as our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, you and I are called to suffer alongside and with our suffering and risen Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul could put it like this in Colossians 1 Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. To follow Christ is to know suffering. But above all, Peter reminds us this morning in that suffering and grief of all kinds of trials, we have a what? We have a living hope. Do you know that living hope this morning? In the midst of struggle, in the midst of grief of all kinds, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of uncertainty, we have a living hope, Peter reminds us. What's your hope built on this morning? Do you know that living hope this morning? We can build our lives. We can build our plans and our purposes on all sorts of different things. We can build our lives on entertainment. We can build our lives on our, our gifts. I was going to say our good looks, but that wouldn't be very helpful. We can build our life on our resources. We can build our life on our reputation. But Peter says there's only one thing that really endures. If you want to know the living hope, If you want to know and experience the living hope, it is to be built on the mercy and the grace of God. That's the only thing that's going to sustain you. That's the only thing that's going to endure. All these other things that I've talked about will be stripped away in the fullness of time. We can lose all of those other things, but we cannot lose the mercy of God and the grace of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our living hope is. A living hope is based on a living Savior. Are you building your life this morning on that living Savior? Are you experiencing that living hope that cannot be taken away from you because your life is built on a living Savior? One who went to the cross, one who rose from the dead, one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father and is reigning from on high. That's where our living hope is based, born in the mercy and the grace of God. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, as we gather in your name this morning, with the name of hope on our door, you've called us Hope Church, and we thank you this morning for reminding us from the Apostle Peter, that we have a living hope that's based on a living Savior because you, Lord Jesus, are alive. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that as this word settles on our hearts as we ponder and meditate on it this week, Lord, that your mercy and that your grace will shape our lives this week. Lord, may we know that taste of the inheritance that you promise us. That in the fullness of time we will experience the fullness of that inheritance. But now we get a glimpse, we get a foretaste as your Holy Spirit lives and dwells within us as we are born again, Peter says. Lord, would you come by your grace and by your mercy that we might be born afresh even now, that our minds might be renewed, that our hearts might be transformed that our wills might be realigned to your wills so that our lives are built on a living hope, a sure foundation. God, in your mercy, God, in your grace, would you do that for us this morning, that our lives would be secure, not defined by our circumstances, not defined by the grief and the trials that we find ourselves in, but defined by you in your mercy, in your grace, defined by you, Jesus, our risen Savior. So today we say thank you. Thank you for your living word. Allow this word to take root in our hearts that we might live as you call us to live. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.